Join Global Genes in Irvine, California, September 14th and 15th for the 6th Annual Rare Patient Advocacy Summit. The event brings together patients, caregivers, advocates, and rare disease stakeholders to learn, connect, share, and partner. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org forward slash 2017 summit. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Last month, Spark Therapeutics submitted its gene therapy Luxterna, an experimental treatment for a rare inherited disease that causes blindness, to regulators in the United States and Europe. The company also won U.S. Food and Drug Administration designation for the experimental therapy as a treatment for a rare pediatric disease. Luxterna could be the first treatment for inherited retinal disease and the first gene therapy for a genetic disease approved in the United States. We spoke to Paolo Falabella, medical affairs ophthalmic lead for Spark Therapeutics, about Luxterna, what clinical trials to date tell us, and why this represents a significant development for not just Spark, but the entire field of gene therapy. Paolo, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. We're going to talk about Spark Therapeutics, a a rare inherited retinal disease that causes blindness, and the company's experimental gene therapy that has the potential to be not just the first treatment for this disease, but the first FDA-approved gene therapy for a genetic disease. Let's start with the disease itself. It's RPE-65 mediated inherited retinal disease. The, The specific retinal dystrophy you're targeting. What is it? How does it progress? And what's the prognosis today for someone with the disease? Sure. Um, this is a ultra-rare disease. Uh, it's a long name to uh, for a disease that affects the back part of the eye, and uh, it's a blinding condition that affects a very young population. Uh, it, it is caused by a very specific gene that's called, uh, called the RP65. And this gene is found right uh, in the layer of cells that sits uh, behind the retina. And it plays a very important function in how vision works. So just to recap this, um, the way that we function uh, visually, uh, when, when a light comes inside the eye, where an image comes inside of the eye and reaches the retina, uh, there, is, there are two groups of cells that actually transform the light to electrical signals that are then sent to the brain so that we can perceive the image. And the RP65 gene uh, produces or induces the production of an enzyme that is very important in that process, uh, transforming the light into into electrical signals. Um, Those two groups of cells that I mentioned, one one is called the rods and the other one is called the cones. Uh, And this disease affects predominantly rod cells. And rods are responsible for the perception of uh, peripheral vision and the light perception and also movement. It has a lot to do with uh, uh, the environment and navigation and independence of a person. 
It's different from cones uh, that we're, we know that uh, their function is more in central vision, detailed vision and color. Uh, so when you go to the clinic and you get your eyes checked, usually the definition of a letter, one letter to the other, that speaks to cones. And this disease is different because it really impacts uh, light perception and, and navigation of these patients. Well, Spark has developed Luxturna, a gene therapy to treat this form of inherited retinal disease. How big a patient population is there for this indication? And, and is there any potential for expanding the indication to other IRDs? Well, this, um, this based on publications, the prevalence of this disease is uh, estimated to be less than 10 patients per million. Uh, it varies. Uh, since it's an ultra-rare disease, there, there are not that many publications out there. But if you look at the prevalence published so far, uh, we're looking at a population approximately less than 3,000 patients in the U.S. Uh, this uh, investigational product, the Luxterna, is, is very, it's gene-specific. So it's RP65-specific. I, I can go into more details uh, later. Um, but the platform that we use, which uses a viral vector, it's a modified virus to deliver the gene inside of a cell. You may use that um, the vector, that virus, to uh, deliver and transport a different gene for a different disease. Well, are you looking at potentially other IRDs as follow-up therapies? Yeah, Spark has another program already in, the, uh, in clinical phase that targets another disease called choroideremia. It's another gene, CHM, uh, and uses a the same platform, which is uh, uses an adeno-associated virus, AV type two, to carry the gene inside of the cell. But the way that the technology works, uh, it's best defined as gene augmentation therapy. So every everybody carries those, those genes, like you and I. So we have RP65 functioning behind the retina. But the patients that carry the mutation, their cells do not produce the correct enzyme because the gene has mutations in it. And so we use a viral vector to uh, carry a healthy copy of the RP65 and deliver inside the cell, let's say, infecting in a good way. One of the challenges of gene therapy is delivery. We, we've seen a lot of early efforts focus on diseases involving the eye or, or the liver. What is it about delivery in the case of the eye or eye disease that makes it an attractive target for gene therapy? Well, the eye, the eye has some advantages to it. Uh, it's a compartmentalized organ. Uh, it has a barrier similar to the brain. It's called the retinal blood barrier. So it blocks the systemic environment in terms of the immune responses. Uh, you also need uh, small doses to um, to create an effect, and and the good thing about the eye as well is they have imaging uh, imaging methods or non-invasive methods that uh, with them you can assess the structure and, and function of the retina without doing a biopsy, for example. The way that um, to be a, uh, to do an effective delivery, you have to deliver the product very close to the target cells. And the way it's done in this case, uh, it's through a subretinal injection. So it's a procedure, a surgical procedure, that you inject with a very tiny needle, you inject the, the fluid of the product behind the retina. And, and, and how is the correct gene derived? Where, where does it come from? And you mentioned using an AAV vector for this? Yeah, so it's, 
uh, it's made uh, for plasma. So you create the, we only use the shell of the virus. So usually in this wild form, the virus will carry its own DNA. So here we're only using the shell of it. So we call it the capsid of the virus. And we produce the RP65 gene in the lab as well. And that this uh, gene is introduced inside of the, of the vector. So when we say one vector is actually the dose, it's uh, 150 billion of them, uh, billions of them. So it's a, it's a solution with a large number of vectors carrying the, the gene. Uh, er earlier this month, you filed an application with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to begin marketing the therapy. This is a, a significant milestone, not only for Spark, but for the whole field of gene therapy. How significant a development is this? This is, this is, this is a very important milestone. Uh, this, the research for this uh, investigational product started um, nearly two decades ago at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and, uh, and it represents a, a huge mark uh, for the field. So you're right, uh, we, we filed the, the BLA application and the FDA earlier in this month in July uh, acknowledged uh, the acceptance of the filing. And now, since this pro uh, program has the priority to review, um, the FDA has announced uh, a producer day, which means uh, that would be the deadline for the FDA to come back with an answer, and that's going to be early in January next year, well, after that date. As the first gene therapy the FDA will consider, how clear do you think the agency is about how it will weigh the issues in reviewing the application, and, and how cautious or, or flexible do you expect the agency to be? Oh, this is a very good question. Um, in, in the filing uh, the application that we filed, we include all the, the materials related to the preclinical phase, the clinical phase, and manufacturing as well. So the FDA is going to reveal all this. Uh, and, and we come back with questions and may uh, request an advisory committee to provide feedback as well. Uh, at this point, it's very hard to say what the agency is going to do. Uh, nobody knows at this point. Um, we have to wait. Well, what do we know about the clinical studies to date in terms of the safety and efficacy of Luke Sterner? And what were the endpoints and, and how well did the therapy perform? Sure. Uh, in the phase three trial, uh, there were 29 subjects that received the intervention. So we start with 31 um, subjects to withdraw. So in the end, uh, we had 20 subjects in the intervention group and nine subjects in the control group. Uh, the intervention group received the procedure with the product uh, in both eyes, and, uh, and they were followed for 12 months. And the control was followed without a sham were uh, children involved in the study. The young, the youngest uh, participant was four year old. It was a four year old, uh, and so they were followed for twelve months. And and after the the, uh, the first year, the nine control subjects had the option to cross over to receive intervention, which they all decided to do as well. So to date, uh, in the phase three trial, there were twenty nine subjects uh, treated. Um, so the primary endpoint of the study was uh, mobility tests. We call it the multi-luminance mobility test. And what it does, uh, a patient is asked to navigate a obstacle course, um, having to avoid the obstacles and reach a door at the end of it. And they are evaluated under different light conditions. There were seven different light conditions. One very dim up to a very bright environment. 
uh, and, and they were assessed their accuracy and speed in completing the test. And the reason why this novel endpoint was developed was, in fact, with input from the FDA, because there were some other endpoints in the study, like uh, the FST, which is a short for full field light sensitivity test, which measures the intensity of light that the patient is able to perceive. Imagine uh, a comparison with a uh, hearing test, for example. The hearing test, a patient is tested for a, for a noise of different intensities, and whenever they pick up the sound, they press a button. Here's in, in a similar format, uh, the person is exposed to a flash of light, and they have to press a button when they perceive it. So we have the FST. Uh, we also have visual field uh, measurements. Uh, visual acuity was also assessed. Um, but all these tests that I'm talking about, they tell you how the retina is functional, the, how the eye is functioning. But the agency back then wanted to understand how the patient would be able to function with that uh, level of vision, which we call functional vision or some may call ambulatory vision. So with um, that rationale in mind, the mobility test was developed and was the primary endpoint of the study. And do you slow or halt loss of vision? Do you actually see improvements over time? And, and how quickly do patients respond to the therapy? Yeah, comparing the intervention group with 20 subjects uh, versus the nine controls, uh, we observed a, a significant improvement from baseline in terms of performance um, that was shown 30 days after uh, the, the procedure. And they have been sustained, uh, you were sustained across uh, with a single intervention, with a single injection. So in terms of durability, uh, we, what we can, the longest durability data we have so far comes from a phase one study that we have. And to date, we have four years of follow-up showing as a group, on average, the sustained result with a single injection. Uh this is a, a therapy that's expected to be administered once. What do we know about its durability? Yeah, I mean, the rationale behind being a, a potential one-time treatment is because the cell the, the cell type that we're targeting here, the RPE cells uh, at the back part of the eye, it's uh, post-mitotic cells, which means that it does not divide like the skin, the cells in our skin, for example, that every couple of weeks you have new uh, cells turning over. So since the cells are not uh, turning over, uh, you deliver the gene inside the cell, and as long as the cell, the person lives, uh, the cell is going to use the gene to produce the protein. So in terms of durability, the phase three trial, we have um, two years now following the intervention group uh, showing durability of results, and the longest durability in humans we have for this product comes from this phase one study that we have nowadays, four years of data. Uh, the area of gene therapy has had a, a big question over it as to how to make pricing work, particularly at a time when payers are pushing back on high-priced therapies. Is there any sense of how Spark will address pricing? Well, Spark hasn't positioned itself about price yet. Uh, the company, the commercial team, has, uh, uh, has had meetings with uh, stakeholders in the field, but the company has not addressed this issue yet. As you mentioned, you've got a PDUFA date of January 12th when the FDA is expected to, to rule on the priority review of Luxterna. What's behind this in the pipeline, and what have you learned in advancing Luxterna that will improve your ability to bring other therapies behind it? 
Well, uh, the beautiful uh, part about this technology is the platform, and and, and Spark is actually very proud of it. Um, Spark, uh, I mentioned about the Optomic of the programs that we have, but we also have uh, two uh, clinical studies in the field of hematology. One is a partnership with Pfizer and Hemophilia B, and the other program is Hemophilia A. So although we talk about different diseases, uh, we're talking about validating a platform that delivers a gene inside of the target cell. So that brings uh, a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, hope for other potential programs as well. Paulo Falabella, Medical Affairs Ophthalmic Lead for Spark Therapeutics. Paul, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The BioReport, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.